So the, the first reading is taken from Psalm 41, uh, which is on page 567 of the Church Bibles. Psalm 41, a psalm of David. Blessed are those who have regard for the weak. The Lord delivers them in times of trouble. The Lord protects and preserves them. They are counted among the blessed in the land. He does not give them over to the desire of their foes. The Lord sustains them on their sickbed and restores them from their bed of illness. I said, have mercy on me, Lord. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? When one of them comes to see me, he speaks falsely while his heart gathers slander. Then he goes out and spreads it around. All my enemies whisper together against me. They imagine the worst for me, saying, a vile disease has afflicted him. He will never get up from the place where he lies. Even my close friend, someone I trusted, One who shared my bread has turned against me. But may you have mercy on me, Lord. Raise me up that I may repay them. I know that you are pleased with me, for my enemy does not triumph over me. Because of my integrity, you uphold me and set me in your presence forever. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and Amen. The second reading is taken from John chapter 13, beginning at verse 18, on page 1081 of the Church Bibles. John chapter 13, beginning at verse 18. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill this passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you now, before it happens, so that when it does happen you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly I tell you, one of you, is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know 
which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, What you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. Thanks, Ian, for reading that. Do keep that bit of John's Gospel open in front of you, if you would. And let me ask you, just as we, just as we begin, here, here's a question for you to consider. Do you have a tender heart? I don't mean so much, uh, are you a, a big softie, you know, much in the way that maybe Steve or Ralph Lee would be, two more cuddly men you couldn't imagine. Uh, I don't mean so much, are you a big softie? I, I mean more what Richard Sibbs a Puritan writer, uh, might mean, he, he had this phrase, is your, is your heart sensible? And by that, he, he meant sensitive. Does it remain sensitive? Do you re- react with appropriate emotion uh, when hard things happen? And is it pliable? Does it still bend easily to God's requests and the needs of others? In other words, have you avoided becoming just someone who's quite hard-hearted and maybe as a kind of defense thing just protecting yourself so you don't show uh, show emotions hard-hearted maybe stubborn and cynical do you have a tender heart you, you think about that and let me give you two stories about betrayal um, the, the first happened uh, in the 1950s it was Washington DC once a week two friends used to to meet for lunch Uh, They'd eat together, they'd drink together, and they'd talk in in the afternoon. One was this man called James Angleton. He was a senior figure in the CIA. The other uh, was this man, Kim Philby. You've probably heard of him, uh, those of you who know the kind of stories around him. He was chief liaison from MI6 to the U.S. at the time, in the 50s. What no one knew at the time was that Uh, Philby led a double life. Uh, Since his uni days in Cambridge, he'd been a committed communist, uh, working as a double agent. And all the information he got from the CIA and from MI6, he was passing back uh, to the KGB. Uh, Numerous agents would have been uh, killed because of him. He'd be responsible for the failure of countless operations. Suspicions grew about him. Uh, Questions were even asked in the Houses of Commons, in the UK Parliament. But uh, his friends defended him to the hilt. 
including James Angleton. I mean, he was the right kind of chap. He was a Cambridge man. He loved cricket. His parents were friends with the foreign secretary. I mean, if you can't trust someone like that, who can you trust? Trust. And then when the truth finally came out, Philby fled to Moscow. His friends were shattered. And not least Angleton, you can imagine thinking back over all those, all those meals, all those conversations, and realizing what was going on. They weren't friendly chats. Philby was pumping him for information, using him. And betrayal is shattering, isn't it? Well, the second story, it happened a long time before that. It's from our reading in, in John's Gospel. It's another meal, another group of friends, another betrayal, and, and John helps us to feel the drama of this story of that night, it, it gets hinted at, first of all. In verse 19, Jesus quotes a bit of poetry. It obviously corresponds with something, how he's feeling. You, you know the way songs do that for us. Sometimes you, you're feeling a certain thing and a line from a song comes to mind. It seems to express what's going on. In, and Jesus quotes a bit of poetry. He who shared my bread has turned against me. It it's literally has lifted up his heel, but the the poetic sense is, is something like he's taken cruel advantage of me. Uh, there's betrayal here, but by verse 21, he, he drops the poetry and he, he just says that one of you is going to betray me. And you'll know those moments. You, you'll have had them. You, you're about to say something and you, you think you're kind of in control of yourself. And as you begin to speak the words, the, the emotions kind of takes over and your voice breaks or there's a, there's a gasp of breath and you find yourself, you can't quite get the words out and anyone listening to you knows this, this isn't just information you're passing out here. This is something that obviously is quite troubling for you. And that's Jesus, isn't it? Verse 21. After he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and said, one of you is going to betray me. There's genuine anguish. And remember who this is. Remember who it is we've got speaking here. He's not a member of a kind of snowflake generation, someone who, who just melts when things don't go his way. No, this is a man who faced crowds, walked on water, confronted leaders. This was a tough man. But he's emotionally shaken. Betrayal is shattering. And you'll know if you've experienced it. It's not just the consequences, is it? When, whenever something like this happens, there's consequences that you'll have to live with. There'll be fallout. But it's never just the consequences, is it? It's the act itself. It's the betrayal. It's the feeling of, if I can't trust this person, who can I trust? That someone I've done this for has done this back to me. And it seems that Jesus here, in his genuine humanity, yes, he's God, but he takes on a human nature, and in his genuine humanity, is genuinely shaken and for the disciples comes that kind of awkward moment, verse 22, looking at one another, and no one quite knows what to say. They're at a loss to know who he means, and you can, you can kind of picture the scene, can't you? you know, they're all in the room, they're not quite sure what to do now with all the emotion that's there, and it's it's Peter who catches the eye, and we're told of the disciple Jesus loved. You can Think about that phrase later, but it's probably John, our, our author. And Peter motions to him across the room. Ask him. Ask him which one he means. Who is it? 
And it gets a bit odd because reading it, we know who it is. We, we know it's Judas. It seems very clear to us. But as Judas leaves, no one seems to understand why, why he's gone. You think, that's odd. Don't they all know what's happened? Don Carson, in his commentary, thinks the interaction on the night was like this. John, sitting on one side of Jesus, quietly asks, who is it, Jesus? And then Jesus quietly answers, indicating that the subtle way he'll identify the betrayer is the one to whom I give this piece of bread. And then he passes it to Judas, sitting on the other side, who's unaware of the sign. And that's the moment we're kind of hinted at here. John tells us Judas finally capitulates to Satan and his will. And it's Jesus that sends him out. And John says, and it was night. And that line is left kind of hanging there with all all the ideas. It's just dripping with ideas, isn't it? Darkness all through John's gospel has, has meant lots of different things, but a kind of world opposed to God. As Judas goes out, uh, he's swallowed up by the night. And Jesus is about to face darkness. That's the second story. Betrayal is shattering. And I suspect for many of you, you, you've got some experience of it. It'll either have happened to you or to people you know. You hear stories, don't you, of, of people who've had research work stolen by people who are above them in the academy. Or, or I know parents, and people I, I know when I used to live up Derbyshire way, who's, who's grown up children, stole things from them, things that could never be replaced and just the anguish of that, not just the things they've lost, but that they've done it. Or spouses who've tragically betrayed marriage promises, and you know from that point, every word that they say, well, it's just going to be hard to believe, It'll be hard to trust again. Uh, and not just those personal things. We live in a culture, don't we, where there's a growing distrust of political leaders. Those, you kind of feel, don't you, around the country, everyone's got this sense, they're going to betray us. And those feelings left long enough, they can begin to harden your heart. You get cynical and suspicious about other people. What, what's the outcome? What's the outcome of betrayal? What does that kind of thing do to you? In our first story, James, James Angleton, it seemed, never really recovered. The stories are that after Philby, he became suspicious about almost everyone. He investigated entire departments. He ruined several careers looking for other traitors that he just suspected were there. And you can understand, can you, even sympathize how betrayal would do that to someone. How it could have that kind of impact on you, how it could ruin life and lives that way. You, you just don't believe anyone anymore. You don't really trust anything you're hearing anymore. And there's, there's a kind of growing fear that it's never very far away and so you've got to watch yourself, which is, which is why this second story, this account of Jesus is such a surprise because you, you read it again and you see that he leads you in a different direction. Now in Jesus' betrayal, what, what you find is actually someone you can always believe in through a message you can always trust that can actually give you courage to keep serving 
with a tender heart, not a hard heart. And if any of that seems, if any of that seems appealing, if you think, I'd, I'd like to know that, I'd like to know that kind of living in a life that does throw betrayal at me, well, come and look at these words again. We've got them in front of us. Someone you can always believe in. I'll, I'll be honest, when Steve gave me this passage, I thought, you tinker. You absolute tinker. Because the next bit of John's gospel that he's going to do tonight, that's the bit that's got some great lines in it. I thought, you tinker, Steve Midgley. You've kept the best bit for yourself and you've given this bit to me. How suspicious is my heart? Even there, slightly hard, assuming the worst. And I thought, no, Steve would never do that. But the more I've looked at this passage, it's wonderful because I thought it's just about Judas and look, it sort of is. But as John tells us at the end of his gospel, the reason he's written is not so that you'll know Judas, but but so that you'll get to know Jesus. So you'll find life in him. And that's what goes on even here. Jesus quotes Psalm 41 and it's about a man being betrayed by a close friend. And he says in verse 19, I'm, I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Jesus says he, he knows he's going to be betrayed and, and he wants his friends to know that he knows he's going to be betrayed so they'll believe I am who I am. And you, you hear those words and that's the way God often introduced himself in the Old Testament. I am who I am, the self-existing one. I don't depend on anyone else. And verse 18, before the quote, Jesus says it's to fulfill this passage of Scripture. What's going to happen? Psalm 41 was, was written by David about a time when, as king, he was cruelly betrayed. David did lots of, lots for, for God's people. You'll know some of the stories for the Old Testament. Do you remember, I guess that famous one on one occasion where he'd come up to the battle where his brothers were. His, his father had sent him up with some cheese for them, amongst other things. Go and take some cheese up for them at the battle. And go and see how they're doing. And Goliath's out, bellowing out his, his defiance to them. And it's, it's David, the cheese boy. The cheese boy who goes into the battle on his own. Takes on the enemy of God's people. And by God's grace, defeats Goliath. He, he saves God's people on his own and yet shares the victory. Shares the victory with everyone. Does it on his own. Shares the victory with everyone. And David, and David did that and yet he was also undermined by his family. He was opposed by the leaders of his day and as Psalm 41 says, he was even betrayed by co- close friends. A, a rescuing king, if you like, who suffered as he, as he saved and yet with all of that, David wasn't perfect. And God made it clear, it's not going to be him. He's not going to be the, the real king who will finally save my people. No, God said one day he would come himself as the perfect rescuing king. And he'd also suffer as he saved. And in a small way, if you like, God, what God did with David in the Old Testament, he, he makes him a bit like a kind of shadow. A shadow of the real king. You, you know the way a shadow works. You see the outline of the shape. It's not fully colored in yet, but you get a sense of what they're going to be like so that you can spot the real one. 
when he arrives, when he finally walks around the corner, not just the shadow, but reality instead. And here's Jesus saying to his friends, I want you to see, even in my betrayal, I'm the God who promised to come as the perfect rescuing king. And just as I promised, I'll have to suffer as I save. And look, I'm being betrayed just like I said I would. And notice in that, in a world of betrayal, Jesus says, I am someone who always fulfills my words. Don't know if you were around at Christchurch last year, just when we'd arrived as a family and we had this uh, amazing theologian come to church. He's called Colin Buchanan. This is a picture up on the screen. Don't know if you remember him. If you had children, he put on a concert. Uh, a concert for some of the children we came along to. And it was loud and it was crazy. He had, I still remember this thing, he had, I think it was a leaf blower that he converted so that you could attach toilet rolls to the end of it and it would fire toilet rolls out into the crowd. Can you imagine having a bunch of little people and somebody's firing toilet roll all over the crowd? And then he had a beach casting fishing rod with a rubber chicken attached to the end and he was swinging it inches over their heads. It was just an amazing time. It was crazy. Um, And yet all through that, he manages to weave in wonderful songs with deep truths, profound truths about God. And one of them, one of them is called The Lord Don't Change. And it has this line in it that says, he keeps every promise and his word is true. What he is, he says, and what he says, he'll do. It's worth remembering that second line. It's a funny one, isn't it? What does it mean? What he is, he says, and what he says, he'll do. It's, it's I guess, what theologians might, might come close to calling the doctrine of God's simplicity. And that, that doesn't mean that God's easy to understand. It's, it, it partly means, look, he's not made up of different competing parts. He's not complex, that he's not made up of different things. He's, he's, not, he's not a bit of love. And he's not a bit of wisdom and a bit of truth and a bit of power. And if you happen to mix all those things in the right quantity, what you'll get is God. No, it's saying that whatever God is, he is simply, absolutely, and infinitely. And there is no discrepancy between his character, his words, and his actions. What he is, he says. And what he says, he'll do. He keeps all his promises and his words are true. And Jesus wants you to know he is that God, always trustworthy. In Jesus' betrayal, you find the someone you can always believe in. There is no double life with him. See, have you got that clear? Are you holding on to that, the Jesus you meet in the Bible? This is who he is. Are you remembering that? We get let down all the time. It happens in families, it'll happen at school, it'll happen at work. We get let down all the time and it throws us all over the place. But if we're Christians, we found this someone we really can believe in, the one who will never betray. Are you holding on to that? And look, here's the, the second thing. You, you also find we've got a message you can always 
trust. Verse 20, I think when you read verse 20, it seems a bit odd. You've got it in front of you. Jesus has talked about betrayal, and then he starts talking about anyone he sends and, and accepting and, and those kind of things. And when you, you first read it, you, you think, I, I'm not quite sure how this flows on. I've got questions from the first bit, and I'm not sure how this quite flows on. See if this helps. Look, betrayal, if you've experienced it, is disorientating. Or you think even more widely, even without being personal. We, we live in an age where people talk about fake news. That, that, those, that phrase has come into our vocabulary. Who do you believe? Who can you believe? And it's not that everyone's a liar. It's not that everyone out there is trying to lie to you. But as you hear different bits of information you know, on podcasts, on YouTube, on, on the news, what, what is the stuff you believe? What do I put my trust in? And we've lived in Cambridge for uh, about a year now. It's not that big a place, and I still get lost around the town centre. I mean, it's small, and I still find myself on some of the streets thinking, where am I? Great St. Mary's uh, is the landmark building I, I look to spot. I orientate myself from that. I, when I get a bit lost, I look for Great St. Mary's. If, if I can see it, I think I know where, where King's College Chapel is. I know where the marketplace is. Marks and Spencer's, not that I go there, but you know, I, I know where it is now, and I can find my way back. I'm trying to think off the top of my head of a really trendy cool shop that I should be in, but I can't think of any. But it orientates me. And now Jesus says, look, he's the rescuing God. You can always believe in him. And you think, yeah, but how do I find him? And how can I orientate my life towards this God so I make decisions always based on, on that foundation? How, how do I do that? And when you realize that's the question you want the answer to, you discover that Jesus has anticipated. He was there before you. He's wanting to lead you to ask that question. And he's all got the, already got the answer in verse 20 when he, says, and when he says, whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. It's a bold claim, isn't it? The only way to know God is through Jesus Christ. If you're, you're here this morning and you're, you're not a Christian and you're beginning to think about these things and you want to know about God, well, here's the claim Jesus makes. He says the only way you can get to know God is through him. There's no other way, no other person, no other kind of faith. It's only through him. And so knowing him as God is the most important thing in life. And what verse 20 is beginning to unpack is, is how you and I can do that. When he says, very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. In a few chapters, in chapter 17, Jesus will, will pray an amazing prayer and he'll pray for his apostles. And he'll, This is one of the things he'll pray. He, he says, my prayer is not for them alone. These, these apostles that he's chosen, I I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Have you got this? The only way to know the God we can trust is through Jesus Christ. And the only way to know Jesus Christ is through the message of the apostles he sent. Their message we have in the Bible. If you know and trust that, you know Jesus. And if you know Jesus, you know God. In a world with unreliable messages in a world that, that has betrayal where people do things to is here's the fixed point here's his truth that leads to someone who's reliable and here's a message we can well not just believe but we can confidently share it as well you're not giving fake news out when you pass on this message these are words you can always trust for the, those of you who are at school 
and your friends begin to rib you about being a Christian or going to church and they ask you something about what you believe and why you do and you start to speak to them and you sell, tell them something about you tell them something about Jesus from the Bible whether they get it or not you, you be confident you're not giving them fake news you're giving them the most reliable thing there is you're giving them something that they can always trust in that will lead them if they trust it to someone they can always believe in that's what Jesus wants you to get hold of. And look, here's the last thing. In Jesus' betrayal, you also find courage to serve with a tender heart. Uh, that question from the beginning, do you have a, a tender heart? I wonder if you've been thinking about that. Does your heart feel tender? Is it a little bit hard? Richard, Richard Sibbs, as I said, when he wrote about it, he called it a sensible heart, a, a sensitive one that can feel things, but but is also pliable to God and cares for others. And there's, there's lots of things, isn't it, that makes our hearts go hard. But you notice Jesus, he retains, he retains a tender heart. I, I mean, it's sensible, isn't it? His heart's sensible, it's sensitive. He, he feels the emotional jolt of betrayal. He's not cold. He's not hardened. But even with that, what is he like? See, earlier that night, if you were here last week, uh, over our Easter service, and you know the passage, earlier that night, he'd washed his disciples' feet, including the feet of Judas, the one he knew was going to betray him. Uh, Judas has probably been sat beside him as well uh, at a place of honor at the meal. And Jesus doing that for him. And then you think about his friends all through this section, what Jesus' concern is about, or one of his concerns is to prepare his friends. Faced with his own coming grief and the own pain of betrayal, his, his concern is still turned outwards to others, serving them, saying things to them they won't even understand now, but later it will help them cope with the emotional shock that they'll feel. Now he remains compassionate even as he faces his own pain and he doesn't try and avoid God's will knowing he has a tender heart and he serves with great courage how does he do that in his genuine humanity how does he he live that kind of way and you think even in a small way could I begin to live like that betrayal usually catches us off guard doesn't it and one of the gutting things about it is it, it dashes all of our plans to the ground. That's what it feels like. But with Jesus, while still painful, he's not caught off guard. And he knows God's plans don't crash to the ground. In fact, in a mysterious way, this will only help accomplish God's plans. Now that's quite something, isn't it? Even in this betrayal. Now, you meet a God who's so wise, whose knowledge is so complete, who is so powerful and so good that even actions committed with evil intent will ultimately end up serving his own good purposes. And Jesus trusts that and has courage to serve with a tender heart. And Jesus in his tender-hearted service will go all the way to the cross in order to bring those who, who trust him, people like, people like you and me, into God's family, forgiven and drawn in, all into his promised purposes. And if you know and trust him, 
It's not that God says that you shouldn't be upset when you're mistreated. No, we're to have sensible hearts. They are meant to feel things, pain and grief and anguish. But they don't need to harden. Because at a foundation, you know someone you can always believe in through a message you can always trust. And even actions committed against you and me with evil intent will in the end somehow mysteriously turn to good. And so we can serve with courage and a tender heart. That I wouldn't begin to presume I I know some of the, the pain and hurt that you face or even betrayals that have come your way. But this morning, as we look at these words, what I want to present to you is the Christ of the Bible who can save you, will never betray you, and can keep your heart tender. And I suppose if you want to assess the tenderness of your own heart at the moment, a good place to start would be to ask, even with some of the pain I felt, how am I serving? How am I serving others? Is God still able to turn me outwards even as I feel pain? I know many people here who I've got to know over the past year who I see doing that and are massive encouragements. But for the rest of us, it's a good question to ask, isn't it? Are you moved outwards towards others as you trust and follow Christ? Richard Sibb says, if you... If you want a tender heart, how, how do you get it? And he says, if you want to melt something that's a bit cold and hard, you, you bring it close to the heat of a fire and it begins to melt it. And he says, the heat of the fire that we need is Christ's love. Come close to him. See what he's like. Trust him and know him. And if we want to maintain a tender heart, he says, be always under the sunshine of the gospel. Do you remember last week the sun comes out? Everybody's out, we're smiling. It warms us, doesn't it? Life feels a bit better. Richard Sibb says, keep yourself under the sunshine of the gospel. I don't know if you think about that as you come on a Sunday. In our service, what we're doing here is coming together under the sunshine of the gospel as you come and hear God's word spoken to you. But don't come just, just for the sermon. We hear God's word there, but we, we come together under the sunshine of the gospel as we sing God's praises, as we lift our hearts to him with wonderful words that speak truths, and we encourage each other as we, we sing them. Come for that as well, but n- not just for that. Make sure you get here in time for the confession as we confess our sin together. And then we hear words of assurance of forgiveness spoken under the sunshine of the gospel. And they come for that, but don't just come for that. Make sure you come for the first bit. Right at the beginning, as you hear God's word read at the start, reminding us we we don't come first looking for God, but he speaks to us first of all and, and draws us to himself. Put yourself under the sunshine of the gospel and come even a bit before that. Come as you meet with other people, even before the service starts. Be here for that bit. As you remember, I'm not just an individual, but that God in his great grace through Jesus has brought me into a family. He's adopted me. If you want to keep a, a tender heart that will have courage to serve, keep bringing yourself under the sunshine of the gospel so that it will warm you and keep you close to the Savior.
Now let's have a moment to pray. And then Steve will come and lead us.